Honey Donowitz is the Chief Operating Officer at AutoThink, a turnkey technology and employed labor solution for pickup drop-off of customer vehicles for service center appointments. Honey went to college. She dropped out with a 4.0 GPA. In high school, she took a bunch of AP classes. She always made sure to learn things on her own. She worked in several industries. She worked in construction insurance. She was also a project manager at several companies. Regardless of where she worked, she got results. No matter where she was, she always made an impact. Listen to follow her journey and learn how she came to lead the operations at a fast-growing company. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have Honey Donowitz. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Honey Donowitz. I am the COO of AutoThink. We are an automotive concierge service that is operating in the United States. Nice. So what does that mean? I kind of have an idea, but like, what is your day-to-day like? So we do pick up and drop off for vehicles. Basically, if you need your vehicle serviced, we will come and pick it up and drop it off at the dealership or the service center and then bring it back home to you when it's done so you don't have to leave or disrupt your day to take care of your vehicle. You know, it's funny. I got I had to get an oil change today. Like, that's one of the biggest things. It's like dropping off the vehicle and then calling a friend to get you back or drop you off. Like, it's annoying. I mean, now it's like sometimes it's like I'll take a book or something to read or You know, to kind of, but it's definitely like something you got to consider because your auto shop is usually not walking distance away or, and all that. So it's definitely an inconvenience. How'd you sort of get into that business? I was brought in a little bit after the company began. So my partner, Ryan started it with his dad. And so they actually started a company to teach technology to consumers. So when you bought a car that you could learn how to hook up your garage door openers, your Bluetooth and all that stuff at the advent of car technology. But what they found was that nobody wanted to pay for that service. And so when they were in dealerships selling it, they noticed the the unhappy looks on people's faces who were stuck listening to HGTV on loop with their kids around, just miserable in a dealership. And so that kind of brought up the idea of, well, why don't we pick up and drop off cars and prevent people from having to come to the dealership at all? So they pivoted and I actually came in right before the national launch. So a car manufacturer found them and wanted to bring them across the country. And I came in to help launch that and get it organized because my background was in creating growth in companies. So that's kind of where I jumped in. Nice. That's awesome. So now let's kind of go back. Let's take it back to the past. How was high school like for you and what did you want to become in high school? Um, so in high school, I thought for sure that I was going to be a corporate attorney or possibly the president or secretary of state. Those were my goals. I was your. Uh, how, all right. I got to ask you about secretary. <laughs> That's so specific for a high schooler. Um, yeah. So you start to understand the hierarchy of control when you're in a bunch of AP classes. And I've always wanted to be in control. And so I realized that as secretary of state, you're the one traveling and making decisions for the international voice of the country. And so the only thing bigger than the United States is the world. And so in my mind, being secretary of state would mean I had ultimate control. Okay. You mentioned AP classes. So you were on top of your stuff, right? You were getting good grades. And how was that? You enjoyed school? I did. I was good at it. I thrived at school. I was like a um, big fish in a little pond because in high school, I got moved to a rural high school and it was really competitive, but everybody was mutually competitive. So we all 
we all were very good. And the, the AP classes were crowded. The AP testing was an event. I felt like I was built for high school. And then when high school ended, I then became a very small fish in a very large pond. And there was no longer the top of the world sensation. But I don't know, I was I'm made for school. I'm a good learner. And so even in college, I dropped out of college with a 4.0. Basically, going to college felt like an extension of high school. It felt like um, there was always something on the other side and that I wasn't quite to it. And so in college, while I was doing well, I wanted to make money and I wanted to be in control, underpinning of who I am. Now, when did you drop out? Was that a tough decision or it was easy? How did people react to it? A little bit of background is I entered college with most of my credits for freshman and sophomore year taken care of. Okay. So you're almost a junior. Yeah. And so I was in some higher level classes. I was doing some ethics coursework and I had gone to some like street organizing event because I was going to college in Austin and there was somebody was protesting something and I walked through and I went to class and we were learning about ethics. And so when you're going to be an attorney, they teach you how to circumvent the law at every corner. It just felt gross. And so I left and it was like the easiest thing I've ever done. And it sounds so it, it took a huge chunk of my life and it was a decision I made in a moment, but I did. It was just, I was like, this isn't for me. I don't need this. I don't need to learn how to lie in school. I can got that from life. Right. And so I called my boss at the time because I was doing like secretarial work at an insurance broker. And he always said that I needed to just go get my brokerage license and like come make money for real. And so I called them and I was like, I'm good on school. I'm not going back. And I won't name any names, but I was I was at a pretty good school. I was going to be one of those people who has doors opened based on my alma mater. And so in retrospectively a big decision, but in the moment, wasn't tough at all. So did you go to insurance brokerage right away? No, I spent a couple of months floundering. I ended up moving across the country as if it was the 70s. Like it's the early 2000s and I just operated like uh, just a wild child from the 70s. But I got to North Carolina, actually. I randomly moved from Texas to North Carolina on a whim, moved to the beach, and then got my insurance license and, and started moving towards being a broker. And I never looked back at college from that. I also did not stay in the insurance industry. Let's be clear. That was a, my mother does that. That is not me. I just knew that it would make me quick money. So that's why I tried that out. Okay. So you were in the insurance industry. Then what industry did you kind of want to go? What was attractive to you? Well, even now, that's a tough question to answer because I, I don't have an industry. I have a set of goals. I want to do something that is creative, that changes the world. And it doesn't have to change the whole world because I'm a big believer in the starfish story. I believe that if you pick up and throw one starfish, you've changed the world for that one. So I don't look at industry. I done oil field briefly after insurance because it was a big thing. But I don't know if you heard of 2008, it was a bad time. That wasn't going to be a long-term path for me. And if I could find a new job, go get one. And I ended up going into construction. I worked out at a gym and they gave me some hours as like a trainer because I'm charismatic. And this guy said he needed a junior project manager. And all these applicants came in with these wonderful degrees, but they didn't have chutzpah. They didn't have the thing that he needed. And I laughed and I was like, you're not going to get it from a degree. 
just passively and then went about my workout. And after that, he came up to me and he was like, come work for me. And I went and became a junior project manager. I got the certificates that you have to have legally to make certain decisions. But I outright refused to go back to school. I said, if you want somebody with a degree, go get one. Like, I don't have time for that because that's something in my brain for a decade. I thought I didn't have time. And that was the hiccup. I mean, it does take a lot of time. It's a huge investment. I mean, you have a high level degree. You know the amount of your life that has been. Yeah, it's it's the time. It's the money. It's and, you know, the other thing is it's like you could spend that time just doing other things. Right. You could spend that time getting the actual certificates. You could spend that time learning actual construction. It's so much. And especially when you're working, it's tough. If I had gotten a business degree. I would have been a wonderful project manager. But when the temperature dropped below 11 degrees and they weren't able to pour concrete and they had been on site for 17 hours and they were exhausted and they were miserable, my degree would not have brought them comfort. It would not have made them keep working. It would not have helped them prevail because maybe my degree would have sheltered me from ever having to prevail. So I wouldn't know how to teach that to my employees. And so without my degree, without all of that, I was able to empathize with the human condition And I find more and more that that is a differentiator of people who don't have degrees and people who do is that people who don't always had to work harder. We always had to know something else. And so that time that would have been spent in a formal education, we still got an education. It just isn't one that you could put on paper and put next to 30,000 other people and it be identical. It is a varied and particular education. So you empathy seems to be like something, you know, I've talk to you before empathy seems to be something you really value how does that come about i think it's just a product of i grew up in the not best neighborhoods and i grew up in southern texas the houston area and things weren't great there and the one thing that you know when you're a kid that grows up in that and a kid who thrives at school because like i was good at school that meant teachers let me hang out sometimes that meant I got to hear the adults talking more than I should have maybe. And one thing I always heard is like, it just seemed like if we just tried to understand each other more, that there would be a lot more solutions than problems. And so as a grown up, I've gotten called a bleeding heart. Like just, you know, that when you become a grown up, when you're like 18, 20, you're not quite there yet. I was a bleeding heart. As I've gotten older and like really come into post-college adulthood is I realized that I was not a bleeding heart. I was not a silly child. I just had a perspective that maybe the world needed. I get laughed at in meetings sometimes because I'm like, guys, we need to think of the little guy because we do. There's not a business on this planet that runs without considering other people. And so as a business owner, I have the opportunity to breathe empathy into it. You're never going to get me to shut up. I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. It's so true because the way companies grow is right. They have that empathy. And then once they get to a certain size, they sort of forget about where they came from. And then they wonder how these new companies sort of move up the ranks. And it's like, look, you sort of forgot your roots. Exactly. And and we don't want to be that way. You definitely want. So now what are some different jobs that you've held out throughout the years? I kind of see that, you know, you were the project manager. Then you actually worked that, you know, you're project manager for several companies. How did you sort of get your next job? So you were project manager at a construction company. What was the next type of company you worked for? I just kept taking on things. The construction company kind of branched into a general contracting company. And so I took on more there. And then the same thing that happened with college where one day I just sat down and was like, I don't know. I had that same moment where I was like, okay, this company is growing in a different direction than I feel like I am. And I told you, I walked through a protest and it changed my mind. I met a little kid and the little kid had epilepsy and empathy is playing a huge part. 
And he needed medication that he cannot get in the state of Texas because it was made illegal as part of a war on drug situation or whatever. So I spent the next few years trying to delineate the difference between people who consume recreationally and different substances that come out that are medicinal and kind of trying to help the bears of the world get through roadblocks in Texas to be able to provide epilepsy medicine. So it's called um, the Texas Hemp Campaign. So it was based around like medicinal legalization of specific types of marijuana. I'm phrasing this all very specifically because it's a totally different argument than another argument that's going on. But I decided to pivot and take a break from my professional goal of world domination and help out in a very direct way. And it was really cool. It was a fun time and it gave me a lot of information, but I knew that it wouldn't wouldn't take me to the top of the world. After my brief time, like I just helped establish this company and, and their charitable arm and go and create this nonprofit organization and register voters and create a system. Then I was able to jump back into my professional goal of being incredibly wealthy with a really awesome resume that has nothing to do with a master's degree. I love that. I started marketing myself as a consultant. And saying, I have this alternative perspective. I can help grow your business. Bring me on. I'll show you. And I found a couple of people who gave me opportunities. And then really it was word of mouth. Because as you know, if I don't have that shining resume on LinkedIn, it is very hard to get people to trust you as a consultant. Whereas if you trust somebody in business and they have trusted me, then you're going to trust me too. And so that's kind of how I built my name and also how I ended up where I am today. I AutoThink is Ryan's company that he started with his dad and he's a close friend of mine. And he watched me for a couple of years just kind of dominate these businesses and go through and help create growth. And then he just came in one day and said, I need you to help run this. I need you to help figure out these products and, and manage all of this with me. And that's how I got back here. I'm not going to get a degree, but I'm going to do everything else that I need to to sort of set myself apart the empathy was something that really set yourself apart what's something else that really made you like that's honey i'm relentless for better or worse i am absolutely relentless if something needs to be done the people who i've worked for have always been able to rely on me and the people who work for me can rely on me i will do it even if it sucks because frankly a lot of things i didn't realize early on that i didn't have to do because again, I didn't have that tool set because really a degree is just a set of tools that teach you how to do something maybe easier. And I didn't have that. And so I, I bore the burden a lot in my younger years. And so that kind of became my habit is now like something that was said about me with a car manufacturer, like the headquarters, the high up people in the C-suite is that I'm not afraid to roll my hands up and get dirty. And I never will be because nobody in my younger formative years told me that there was a, another way. And now I'm an old dog when it comes to that. I'm not going to change now. And so I think that that is something that's that's honey is that I'm in it and I will pour concrete with you and I will learn the profit and loss report and be able to read it like a book. And I can talk to anybody because you have to, to survive at a point. And now that I'm thriving, it's, it's second nature. What were some of the biggest learning experiences? Like what were some experiences that just taught you so much that like you still think about it? Like you still have vivid memories about I would say that there's a big three. The number one one is that um, when you drop out of college, there is this moment where everybody around you looks at you like, really? And then there is a burden on the back end to prove to them that it was a good decision. So the lesson there is, no, there's not. There is no burden. There is nothing. 
there is an opinion that somebody else had and it is a moment in time that you move right on from. Do not spend years trying to prove to other people that you made the right choice because that robbed me of a lot of time. So that's my big one. And then the second one would be in the construction when I realized that no one above me had a better answer than me, that there was no degree, there was no experience, there was nothing because sometimes catastrophe happens and you have to roll with the punches and there is nothing that could have prepared you. So you just have to roll and that, that is the answer. And so that's one that I think of anytime something bad happens now in my life. I'm like, remember that time when a million dollars worth of concrete just broke and nobody had anything good to say? Like that is the other one. And then my third one is autothink because there was a product that was a really good idea and nobody wanted it. And then there was a really good idea that nobody had. And so being open to adjust and pivot is the most valuable lesson in this life. If you're not adaptable, if you can't be like water, like Bruce Lee says, then you're nothing because we all saw collectively as a society that in a moment the world can change and you have to be ready to change with it. And our company, since last March, we have grown. We have more than doubled. We're on a rocket ship, whereas most other people are having to brace for a lack of growth and so we couldn't have anticipated that. Nobody could anticipate where they are today. And so the Bruce Lee quote is my third lesson in life is that you got to be like water. You've got to flex. Let's talk a little bit about your company because your company is like very forward thinking when it comes to hiring those without degrees. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Because we grew so rapidly, we didn't have time to go and interview hundreds of people and find exactly the right fit. And we all know in our hearts that you don't have to have a degree to be great. And so we chose to look at the people on our team and have an open discussion with the very first drivers we ever hired and ask them what they're capable of, what they want and what they bring. And those questions became a lot more important than where they went to the school. And we have a lot of military employees. So we are a veteran focused hiring network. So we look for people who have recently transitioned out of the out of the military or people who are on leave or they're a spouse of someone in the military, because those three groups of people have a very hard time finding jobs a lot of the time. And we found that their skill sets are an incredible asset to what we do in particular, because we are moving people's vehicles. And those are incredibly expensive, sometimes the second or first most expensive aspect that somebody owns. And so we really have to be careful to take care of them. And veterans are great at it. So what I found is that Half of my team is military spouses who have never had a great opportunity because they moved too often. And they're wonderful women who I believe could do my job, your job, the president's job. They could do anything because they have had to roll with so many punches that they've got this. And now one of them is going to go back to college because the job that she wants in our company, it's a finance job and it requires a certain amount of degree because you have to know how to speak the language of the people in the room who all went to Duke or better. And so we have to be able to speak their language. And so she came up and she said, I want to go back to college. I'll finish. And in our company, it was said like, I'll spend this time. You know, it wasn't like, this is a scary thing I can't do. It was, I guess I'm going to commit to put my time to this instead. Everyone else, we just get the training we need myself, Ryan, the rest of my operations team, there's only one of us who has a high level degree. And then a couple who have bachelor's degrees as well. But 
we just sign up for the trainings we need or, or we get a consult from somebody to make sure we didn't miss anything. But these people are tenacious. They're incredible. You'll end up speaking to most of them one day, I'm sure, because our company is going to be astronomical. And it's because of our varied perspectives and our empathy in my mind. Earlier on in your career, how did you go about picking up more skills? Like, did you read books? You mentioned like currently now you take like trainings right through your company. What are the different ways that you learn things? A lot of it is through technical classwork. So you can do technical schools that are like certificate based, like a CPA course would teach you certain things, um, Excel courses, LinkedIn actually offers a ton of coursework that I've done. And you can actually get master skills that show up. I'm starting to do those now. So that I have a few master courses on my LinkedIn. And then the other resource is internet threads. I mean, Reddit, I know it sounds like a silly resource, but there are professionals doing professional things in the background on that website, I promise. And you can learn anything. I'm a big community thinker. And so there are skills that I have that other people don't have. And I offer those in exchange for learning things. Back when I worked at the gym, I got my personal training certificate. So I can help people make smarter choices with their workouts and their food. And I am not good at Photoshop. And so occasionally I'll put on my LinkedIn or my personal social media, hey, guys, I need to swap some services. And I will go that route and offer what I know in exchange for what somebody else might know. Now, you mentioned that you spent a lot of time trying to prove people you made the right decision. Can you expand on that a little more? So because I was an overachiever, because I dropped out of college with a really good GPA and, and perfect marks and all of that, everyone just thought that I had made a short-sighted decision by dropping out. They thought maybe I was lazy or fatigued from school. Everyone had their own idea of why I did it. And when I tell people it's because I didn't feel like I needed it, they wouldn't listen because I was young. And frankly, who decided that teenagers have to make the biggest decision of their life while teenagers, right? As I've grown and become a mother, even in, in further years, people occasionally will bring up, well, I bet you regret that, don't you? And so even now I get those feelings that I need to prove something that no, I don't regret it because it gets asked of me. But the number one person that I felt like I had to prove something to was my high school teachers. Because they invested in me. They believed in me so hard that I felt for almost a decade that I needed to go and show them that they didn't waste their time. And that's such a toxic way to look at it because all the skills they gave me, I still used. And the piece of paper didn't tie into that. But I mean, I would post updates about my salaries. I would post updates about my jobs and the cool gigs I got. Instead of talking about like who I am and what my life is actually like, I would make it about, I make X amount of dollars now. Aren't you proud? which not hot. Yeah. You mentioned that it was like that for 10 years. When did you become comfortable? The past three years since I became a consultant, since I took ownership and control is when I've become comfortable. Like I made it and I didn't need to answer to anybody. You know? no, that's, that's interesting. Was there ever a time like the lack of a degree held you back? Like was there ever a position where it's like, nope, sorry, you can't get it. Oh, for sure. We're not going to consider you. Yeah. My success stories are the exception to the rule. I've applied for thousands of jobs. I have been greenlit on every personality test you can take. I am Myers-Briggs primed for any opportunity. And my lack of education has put my resume. I haven't made it through AI filters most of the time because as a company owner now, I know that when you set filters in the back end, people who apply without certain degree requirements, their resumes are never seen. Nobody, no human eyes ever review those 
So yeah, I missed thousands of opportunities because of computers or hiring managers who felt like degrees do not commiserate with experience. Uh, sorry to hear that. I mean, I think they lost out more than you lost. I out. feel the same way. I feel like those structures prevent companies from growth. Yeah. You're a good student. So what would you change about the education system if you could change something? Well, what's cool is now I'm a mom and I see that the education system's forcing to change because of COVID. I would make it more inclusive. I would make it so the education system understands that there is not one type of learner and there is not one type of education and that our accumulated experience is really the education and there has to be more room for that. When you have required attendance, when you have inflexible teaching styles, those things don't foster growth in any way. They just create more of the same. And if the same was working, we wouldn't need to evolve. I think that's a very good point that you need that diversity because some people just don't learn from every teacher. They don't learn from every learning style. They Some people can't necessarily sit in long classrooms and all that stuff. All these things have a big impact. Now, how has the industries like that you've been in change over time? So in general, like let's think about the auto industry. Like how have you seen that change over time? Oh my gosh. Over the course of one year, I've watched the auto industry just turn on its head and have to reconstruct. It's been incredible because the automotive industry is like, it's relationship based. Like you go buy a car where you feel good about buying a car and you take that car to where you feel like is worth it for your time, your money and your experience. And so coming into that before COVID, we were worried about how we would fit into that. And so we created a white glove service because everybody loves luxury, right? Well, then overnight, our luxury became a necessity. And so then we had to pivot to not everybody feels like they can afford a white glove experience. And even if you make it affordable, they will feel like it's not a value to them, that it doesn't match. And so we had to pivot our marketing, our concept. We had to really make it about people's time. The only way I was able to get that knowledge was by watching the auto industry and watching these service advisors and these marketing directors and and people like Ariel who sell used cars who are like, what do we do now? And I think that the more you talk to people in the auto industry, you're going to see they are flexible. They will move with the times because they've had to. Because think about this. like Imagine that you're selling used cars and then people are all of a sudden marketing EVs. like They're marketing electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles. And you still have to sell that 2004 Hyundai. So you have to pivot and change the conversation. I mean, that's experience I have to carry forever now. You know, that just lives rent free in my brain. Yeah. Now you mentioned you posted your salaries. Do you mind sharing some of the salary ranges that you sort of made and like the titles? Yeah. I mean, as a project manager, I made everywhere from $32,000 as a junior project manager and then all the way up to about 120 as a project manager. And then, I mean, as a COO, my salary right now, I'm a startup, so it's not where it should be. But once we're funded, I mean, I'll be on par with every degreed individual I know. And so it, the range, well, okay. So back to empathy, our company doesn't intend to go as high as some C levels could go. We're going to maintain a percentage to our employees at the lowest level. That's amazing. I love that. It's a hard one to sell to everybody. Not everybody agrees, but we're really excited to be able to commit to that. But there is an opportunity to make as much as like a million dollars a year if my company is extremely successful, which we hope it will be. It was not easy to get to this point. I don't want to make the listeners feel like being without a degree, you can still be a millionaire because, yeah, you absolutely can. There's a lot lot of people who are doing it already, and I I plan to be one of them. But it is a road where you have to build your own tool chest because nobody's going to give you one. 
let's go back to college. What did you feel you were lacking? You said ethics was a big issue. What else did you feel you were lacking from the college experience? Well, the, th- the reason I bring up inclusivity and in learning is because I did feel like I had pushback on what I was being taught. And there was no outlet for that pushback. When I asked just the simple question of why is this tantamount to lying? I was told that I just didn't get it and just keep paying attention. And I'll understand eventually. Like how dismissive. And so I didn't feel like I should keep asking questions because like 115 people just saw me get told to be quiet. So I can't continue to feel like I can ask questions. And so then I'm quiet. And so then the next lesson builds on that last one. And I still don't have clarity on the last one. And so now anxiety is brought into the equation. So I don't have clarity on what I'm learning and I'm anxious. And so it just became a a cycle of me not feeling like I had the resources I needed. And I am a good learner. I'm a fantastic test taker. I don't hesitate. I'm not, I'm self-assured. So if I'm not getting it, how many of my classmates are outright failing right now because they don't have the resources they need? And yeah, no, that's so true. What are some of the mistakes you've made? That self-assurance is a double-edged sword. Sometimes I don't know what I don't know until I'm directly on my face. That's the biggest mistake is that I walk into everything full force. And so I have, I've been wrong a couple of times in business and had to recalculate for that. And I've gone in unprepared quite a bit, especially with AutoThink and and what we're learning now. We've had to bring in a lot of support systems because we were unprepared for such rapid growth. Like we were prepared to grow quick but we weren't prepared to go national. And so one of the mistakes I made was saying, I got it. And within like six days of saying, I got it, I had to go back and say, Hey guys, I don't got it. We all got to got it together. (laughs) And so we kind of had to like recalculate our plan and to be able to jump off on the right foot because it's okay to make a mistake. It's not okay to learn you made a mistake from your customer. And so I had to just step back and say, you know what? Like we are all capable of all things, but today I need other people. And I think that that's probably going to go down in history as like who I am as a person as far as mistakes go is I always think I got it. Hey, well, I think you got it. Now, what are some things that you're still working on that you think you need to get better in? I'm very observant as a person, but I kind of dismiss those observations sometimes is that I'm like being paranoid or something. And I, I have to start like taking a step back and listening to not only other people, but like myself in the situations and really like fortify that inner voice. And that's something that I try to like train my employees to do too, is that if you feel a certain way, at least acknowledge out loud guys, because there are things that your brain is noticing that you are not cognizant of. And so like taking that step back and saying like, I can trust myself. We've got this and using the coaching that I give my employees is really the number one thing I have to work on pretty much across the board. Yeah. So how'd you get better at coaching your employees? I have a really great coach. There are two people who have helped with that journey. One is no longer with our company, but she was so good about coming to me and saying, I like what you said. I would have just said it this way. Or I could go to her and say, Hey, I'm putting out this messaging. Can you audit it? Because I'm overly passionate and very like romanticized in my talking. And so she would kind of bring the robot to it a little bit. So it's more palatable to all people because The thing about romantic thinkers is like, if I start getting lofty, there's a whole group of logical thinkers who are going to hate to hear from me. And so I had to get somebody to kind of reel me in in that way. And then the other person is actually my best friend who has stuck with me through all of those mistakes you heard about. And she kind of tempers 
the way that I'm absorbing the coaching. So like if somebody tells me I need something, I can go to her and say, I was told this and she'll like walk me through. Yeah, I can see that here, here and here. And so it helps bring levity. So if you could talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell her? Oh man, I recently got the letter that my 18 year old self wrote to my 30 year old self. Got a picture of um, she was an audacious individual and I think I made her proud. I think that she's all right with me because I was a little rebel, you know, I didn't want to do it the cookie cutter way. I just saw success in that. And so I think that going back and talking to my 18 year old self and saying, Hey, we dropped out. I think that she would be like, Oh yeah, good, good. What'd you end up doing with it though? Because I've known I wanted to be successful the whole time. And so I think that 18 year old me would really want to know what was going on in those check boxes. Is there anything you want to share just to people in general who are like, you know, high school students or people who are sort of transitioning to just different industries? What would you kind of say to them? Gather your toolkit or your weapons, because like as a, as a woman, it's not even tools. Sometimes it's weapons because because there's so much pushback that it feels like a war occasionally and you, you got to go in. But I think that confidence is everything. And if you have your toolkit in place and you know exactly what you need to be successful, that there's nothing that stops you. And one of those big tools that we don't utilize enough that I really, I encourage every person, regardless of where they are in life to use is their community, the opinions of others who have been there and resources. Like, don't be ashamed to say, Hey, I don't know this thing because the best and brightest have insurance to cover against their mistakes because they have to, because their mistakes are high risk and, and high reward and they still make them. That's why the insurance exists. So Everyone below a doctor or the president should be pretty good to ask a question every now and then and feel okay about it. That's awesome. How is it being a woman in the auto industry? Because historically, that's a very male dominated industry. How is it? It is male dominated. There are a ton of dudes everywhere there. I would stagger at the statistics because I know I've been in the room, so I know how few women are there. But I love it because it's not a boys club. It's very welcoming. And frankly, what I hear more than anything is that the men in the room are defaulting to the woman. They just trust her. And we all laugh and then just go back to being equal about things, which is not something I've had in every career I've had. I've never felt quite as respected as a woman as I do in the auto industry. I think that more than anything, because of the adaptability of the auto space, that the men who have held the baton so far are willing to hand it off. They're willing to say, let's do it together. And it's because that innovation mindset, they realize there's no stopping women in the workforce. So why would I push back is how I feel. I hope that's how they feel. If not, they're faking it really well. Any advice you would have for women who are sort of entering the auto industry? Be confident. Don't feel like you have to be someone you're not. Because, yeah, occasionally we do have to put on some heels because it's I say have to. I don't think we have to. I did have a boss once who wanted me to and they made it obvious. And I looked at them like. Is no, it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm not wearing them. And it was left there. So be yourself is my advice because I have gone into rooms wearing clothes that were uncomfortable because I felt like that's what they thought a professional woman looked like. And I have worn my hair in ways that were uncomfortable. I have done all sorts of things and it did not make any difference. It didn't make it easier for me, didn't make it more fun, didn't make it better. I think that the most important thing is to just be authentic. And if you love red lipstick and six inch heels and a pencil skirt, wear it because you're going to be most comfortable, most confident in that. And yeah, some people may say something, let them because they were going to say something no matter what. 
that's my statement to all women. <laughs> I love that statement. I just love your voice. I love the stories you have to share. And it, it's clear that your company is going far because I, I know you're going to make sure that it, it succeeds and you'll do whatever you can. And I know that you've surrounded yourself with great people who will make sure that that will happen. Now, how would people support you? How would people follow you? LinkedIn is the best way to connect with me direct. Uh, as far as Autothink, following us on social media is important because we're actually in the midst of a relaunch. We have some new services, new products that we're in the midst of creating. After all this launch and all this uh, expansion, we're also in the background creating Autothink 2.0. So we really, really would love the support. We are going to have some questions for consumers soon and some, some product reviews. And so we really would love to have community start building around us. And I think that the absolute best way that anybody listening could be supportive of me and our goals is to look into their communities and see how to make it better and then do that full force all the time. Yeah, I think we each have to like think of the starfish quote that you change the world by changing yourself, changing the things around you, changing what you can control and everybody do, doing their part makes the world a better place. So thank you so much for your time. I know the listeners got so much value. I wish you the best and, you know, looking forward to hearing updates from you. For sure. I look forward to listening to you and probably uh, hearing a few of my operations team on the podcast later down the line. Yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward. Well, have a great day. It was good to talk to you. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show's worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so, you got no degree, no problem, any problem, we can solve them, LinkedIn insomnia. Keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.